The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Tell myself I, I shouldn't have preferences, but to recognize these are the preferences that are happening right now. And then we can begin to see, are these preferences about greed or are they about something else? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not that we have to stop the preferences, but they're, it's like they're being revealed. They're being brought into more conscious awareness. And I think that's a, a big piece around what happens in, um, in our mindfulness practice in general, but also in our daily life practice, that we start to see things that are kind of kind of operating below the surface, you know, preferences and ideas and views that are, that are kind of, na- that are ways that we navigate the world, but that we don't normally notice it. And so the fact that it's seen is fantastic. And then in seeing it, there can be a, a recognition of, is this helpful? Is this not helpful? Is it neutral? I mean, noticing a preference for nature versus cement, you know, that's, that's kind of neutral in a way. So, um, you know, it's not that we have to eliminate preferences, but just recognize that they are preferences and begin to see what the, whether there's something underlying that that's worth noticing or looking at. Huh. Yeah. You commented on comfort and comfortable pace, and I, I was, there are quite a few paces that I have that are comfortable, but where I went with that word at some point, wasn't sure whether it was preferences for me or more just that my, you know, seeing, hearing, it's a selective mind, I go to something, and so as this opening and going, how about broader seeing, broader hearing? There was a, a, an effort. I mean, I thought it would be drop in an idea, expand the seeing, but so much information is flooding in that it's somewhat overwhelming. Um, and so it was hard for me to keep from choosing that which I could if you will, manage with comfort. I, I hadn't noticed that. I mean, maybe I'd noticed that before on prior retreats, but it, it was quite there today. And the other place, I just was observing that the orientation to keeping things um, no more complex than they needed to be. And so when the rain starts to be picking up, picking up, I now have uh, more of an objective <laughs> and just that arising of a desire and a, the consequence of that desire, which is a slight push, um, it was interesting to see because it then distracts from what had been a very comfortable going down the list of four at a lovely pace. It's no longer the pace that I preferred. Yeah, well, and sometimes this is, you know, this is an important thing to recognize that sometimes we can't go at the pace we prefer because there's something that has to happen quickly. <laughs> so it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not that we um, kind of hold tightly to our preferences, but more that we recognize what's, 
what's what's workable here within the context. So we have to include a, a bigger context. So one piece I'll point to around the, you know, you said kind of looking at the broader, taking in a broader experience and seeing and how that felt kind of overwhelming um, and that it felt like kind of effort. It didn't feel so easeful or comfortable to do that. Um, you know, this is actually a piece in in the learning about the more open awareness, the broad receptive awareness, that this this often is a place of of tension in a way, or of um well it's it's both of tension and also of learning um uh what it means to have open awareness. Um we might think that what open awareness means is that we're taking in everything, that we're not preferring anything. Um and that's one way that it can happen that that the the awareness can be very soft and not very specific um uh, more like a, a a wide angle lens than a focus lens a focus lens um so it can be that way but sometimes that's not what the mind is kind of naturally doing it may be more kind of picking things in experience it's look it's it's you know it looks at that it looks at that it looks at that and that can also be a kind of open awareness just an awareness of what the mind is naturally kind of gravitating to we're not saying i'm going to look at this and stay there which is more the 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 kind of the focused attention the open awareness allows the mind to kind of freely wander mm-hmm. and that free wandering may be a wide angle lens or it may be a successive of you know just like following what the attention is kind of naturally doing you know oh we we you know in in a in the broader open awareness it would it would go between seeing and hearing and body sensations and and it would just be what what's happening there in the seeing it might be that you're you kind of you're walking and then you notice uh you know um kind of a bush on the side that the attention is drawn to and then and then a little puppy dog goes across and then you're drawn to that and you don't have to preference to either be broad and unfocused or narrow and focused but but just kind of noticing this the shifting of attention and being and seeing if there can be a comfort with oh this is what the mind is comfortable doing right now it it's it's looking at that right now and it seems pretty happy with that and then and then some, the attention gets drawn to something else so what this points to is essentially um what we call the difference or the uh different ways that attention works it can be non-specific kind of open um I heard a word for this recently. Uh I can't remember it. If I remember it later I'll bring it up. But it kind of a non-specific broad panoramic attention and a very specific attention. And we could say that one is seeing and the other is looking. And they're they're kind of different. You know, that the seeing is is much more just receptive and and aware of a, a flow of experience and the looking kind of takes us down to see something else they're different they're different flavors of how our mind um attends to things and we can begin to to notice and get uh interested in the shift from one to another neither one is better than the other they're just different ways our mind works and so sometimes we can we we might be in that field of panoramic seeing and then 
movement happens and we're looking at the thing that's moving. And so noticing this difference and this shift between seeing and looking and not preferencing either one. You know, that, what, that's where I think that the tension comes in is by trying to say, oh, the mind is looking at something. Let me see, you know, <laughs> let, me, let me broaden out. And it's like, well, that's not what the mind is doing. And so it takes effort and it feels like it's, it's um, maybe some tension gets added to try to do that. This is something I really learned with um, Saira Utejaniya. I was trying to preference this broader attention, giving myself a headache. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you said, don't do that. <laughs> Thank you, that was helpful. <laughs> um, so I want to um, move on. Oh, well, maybe one more. Uh, and use the mic, yeah. So, is, would it be helpful to have kind of a deliberateness? Uh, in the beginning, I thought, oh, I'm going to the end of the, um, the uh, block. So that was my kind of intention, and, and uh, that was kind of deliberate. And it felt good to have some... Um, kind of a, a location or end. Uh-huh. And so in, I wondered about being deliberate. Is, there, is it helpful to be more deliberate or is it just right here, right now? What did you notice? Well, I just noticed that I told myself I wanted to be more deliberate, but I didn't find myself being deliberate other than just being there in the next block. I was going there and I was going here. Uh-huh. Here, I was coming back here, and that was it. And I so that was the, the the way in which the deliberateness manifested. So right. I'm going to go to there, okay, and then you got to there, and it's like, oh, and I'm going to go to there, so that you you kind of inserted a kind of intention, occasionally through your walk. Right. Was that supportive? It was. It, it gave me some uh, fence or some some. Yeah, use the mic. Yeah, some uh, um, some structure. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And And so, if that structure is helpful, use that. It's fine. Um, I would say there's not a single right answer here. There's not one a one thing that says yes. This kind of deliberateness is useful. Sometimes it's very useful to help us have a structure so that our mind can land and really be present with what's happening. Uh, at other times, it's, it's, it can be more useful to say, hmm, I wonder what's happening here. Let's see if I don't set an agenda. So there's not, there's not just one right answer. I would look at what's supportive for you, and it sounds like that was supportive for you. Yeah, so trust that. I just wondered if there was any other places in this walking meditation that would help to have deliberateness. Um, you know, I think that those are things that we each find for ourselves. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to start kind of look, going over or looking at some of the practices that uh, support or that I, I offer to support. Um, mindfulness in daily life. 
But first I want to just say something about why. You know, why do we do this? You know, why try to bring mindfulness into daily life? You're here, so I assume that there's some reason why you might think it would be valuable. Uh, But I just want to to kind of highlight a few things. Um, I mean, often we do have people having done meditation retreats or learned about meditation silently on the cushion who come and say, well, you know, this seems really helpful, but how do I do this in my daily life? It seems hard to to do in my daily life. And so this, this retreat kind of addresses that to some extent. So there has been requests for um, this extension of the mindfulness practice, you know, ways to support mindfulness in our daily life. But why is it so helpful? Um, you know, if we start, as we start in sitting meditation, we start looking at our minds, we see what's going on in there, we begin to see it uncovers so much of what's going on, about places where we're caught, places where we get confused, and we start to see that there's a benefit to being mindful, that our mind, I I think many people begin to understand and value the settledness of mind that happens, that we can let go of things more easily, that we don't get quite as caught up in things, that there's a little more space in our minds when reactive emotion comes up. And I think that's a big one that, that people point to. It's like, wow, you know, when I'm sitting in meditation and something challenging comes up, I can sometimes just feel like it's okay and, and let it, you know, I can just be aware of it and it kind of passes through. And I'd really love to be able to do that in daily life. And so that's a big, uh, a big piece is to be able to start to navigate our challenges, the ways that we struggle in daily life, to, to have some tools that support us to not be so um, caught up in daily life so that we can um, have a little more ease and peace, some more um, non-reactivity, some more um, ability to navigate the ups and downs of daily life with some degree of balance of mind. I think often we find ourselves in, in our reactive emotions being pulled off of our center, being pulled out of balance. And then we end up reacting rather than responding. And that's a big um, reason why it's helpful to begin to bring these tools into daily life practice because the tools of mindfulness, of settled mind, of, of understanding how our minds uh, habitually react Um, These things that we uh, see in daily life, when we bring mindfulness to them, like in our sitting meditation, there's, uh, there's more capacity to hold it. There's more ability to navigate it with less reactivity and more balance. So sitting meditation is a valuable tool and it begins to, um, uh, help the mind get Sometimes that when I first started meditating, I, I, I just considered the meditation, the sitting meditation, to almost just be a respite from what was going on in my, in my life. It was like, oh, I get a break from all that stuff, you know. So, so it, it was just kind of a way that the mind could settle down a little bit. And that settling down does support us. It gives us, uh, we're not in that kind of continual reactive mode all the time. It gives our mind a break from that so that we have some strength and some capacity to go back to meet our day. But then the the question is, well, how might I I have that capacity right in my day? 
The same tools of mindfulness and the settling of mind will support us, but it is much harder. You know, in our, in our sitting meditation, our eyes are closed. We often, our eyes are closed and we are still, uh, we're not interacting. We have some space where we can help ourselves remember to be mindful. We're often using something to ground our attention to help us remember, right, I'm going to pay attention to the breath or to hearing or body sensations. And then when we wander, when our minds wander, we recognize, oh, I haven't been paying attention to that. So um, it helps us to remember. And so in the sitting meditation, there's a lot of things that help us to remember about mindfulness. And in our daily lives, we lose a lot of that. We lose those, those kind of cues that help us to remember. And in, in sitting meditation, it's hard enough. I mean, how many times do you, does your mind wander when you sit for even 15 minutes? It, it wanders a lot. And yet the, we do remember, partly because of the stillness of our body, partly because of the intention to be mindful. And so the, that, that losing those as we shift into daily life practice, this is something that for this particular retreat, I like to encourage um, some specific kind of grounding um, things that will help you to remember to be mindful in daily life. Because that's the big thing. Remembering is pretty much where it's at. Remembering to be mindful. And it's hard to remember in daily life. So the um, certain, um, in in the sitting practice, we talk about sometimes having an anchor for the attention, uh, kind of a place where the mindfulness comes back to after the mindfulness has been lost, something that we kind of ground with or connect with. And in daily life, not having that, um, sometimes I find it helps to have some specific activities in which we explore or commit to, I'm going to try to be mindful in these specific activities. Partly this helps us because, especially if it's something we're doing regularly, um, just the intention, so the intention to remember to be mindful while I'm doing some specific activity, that intention kicks in at some point, even if we've forgotten to be mindful of that specific activity, we might remember, oh, I've forgotten to be mindful of that. So for instance, the first thing I like to suggest in in terms of a tool for daily life practice, and it sounds so silly in some ways, but it's really helpful and really powerful. This was one of my very first meditation practices, one of my very first mindfulness practices. I picked something that was happening regularly through my day and said, I want to be mindful when that happens. And it was a very simple and very short thing. It was something that happened and ended. Happened and ended. And I did it probably four times an hour for the bulk of my day. And that for me was switching between Dawson windows on my computer. That was the thing that I, I was a programmer and at that point, 25 years ago, whatever it was, that was something I did a lot of, this little action of switching between Dawson windows. It was a neutral thing. It was um, something that um, I did a lot of and 
I missed it a lot. But partly I was doing this because I was also at the same time exploring uh, being mindful while I was... uh, while I was having a particularly reactive emotion. And it felt helpful to me to have another kind of counterpoint balance mindfulness exercise that would be mindfulness when I'm not waking up into something that feels horrible. Because I was, I was practicing being mindful while I was reactive, while I was angry, noticing when I was angry. And that felt pretty painful to wake up into that. And so I picked something, you know, this, this was something that my mind just came up with. It's like I just picked something else to help me. And it ended up in this, in this kind of fortuitous way, this simple, neutral activity that was just a, something that I was doing regularly created uh, conditions for my mind to, to both connect with mindfulness in a, in a place or a time that wasn't so charged. And uh, it also, I I was picking something that was happening so frequently that I was getting, over time, I I began to get these little, you know, just every few minutes. Oh, there, I'm aware again. Oh, I'm just, I'm switching between Dawson windows. How am I? What's going on here? So this, um, this tool is kind of like the neutral, just notice your breath as a daily life practice it's 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 a it's as in our sitting meditation we pick something kind of neutral to just know and be aware of this tool of noticing something neutral is along that line to uh to support the mind both to remember mindfulness to have something explicit in our activity that helps us to recognize have i been mindful or not so again, in the sitting practice, we can kind of tell, we wake up, it's like, oh yeah, I, it must be at least two minutes since I noticed a breath. You know, because we've been breathing all this time and, and we wake up and we're breathing and we notice breathing and we kind of recognize, oh, it's been a while. With this kind of practice, it also helps to give us a little bit of a sense of how long has it been since I've been mindful? You know, has there been mindfulness today? When I first started this practice, it was a whole day. I mean, I, I said, oh, I want to try to be mindful while I'm switching between Dawson windows on my computer. And I forgot the whole day. At some point, like I was going to bed at night or something, and it's like, oh, oh, I said I was going to do that. I forgot all day long. That moment... The first time you remember that you've forgotten or any time that you remember that you've forgotten. That is not a moment of, oh, I can't do this. That's actually when the practice happens because that moment of remembering that you didn't, you weren't mindful of that activity, in that moment of remembering, mindfulness has arisen right then, right in that moment. And so take that opportunity to notice, okay, well, what's it like right now? You don't have to hold on to mindfulness in that moment. It's not about saying, okay, now I need to be mindful for, you know, the next 10 minutes. But just like, oh, I'm aware now. What's happening? And, and one of the, the best things to check into is, how is the body? Is it relaxed? Is it tense? Sometimes just noticing that, if we notice a little bit of tension, sometimes in the noticing of that, there'll be a little bit of relaxing. Another thing to do in that moment when you remember that you've forgotten 
is to um, just recommit. Just say, I'm just going to keep trying. If my experience in this and my experience with many times teaching this is any um, example, you will not remember. In the first few days, you will not remember more than you remember. This is how it works. It's not a problem. That moment when you remember that you've forgotten, that's when it starts. That's when it can begin and that's when it can continue. So noticing what's happening there in that moment, really what the point of this practice is, is to increase the moments of mindfulness in your day and increase the moments of mindfulness in ordinary activity. Increase waking up and being aware, I'm mindful right now. My body is tense. My body is relaxed. I feel calm. I feel confused. Just in a very simple way. Just having a moment of mindfulness arise in the midst of everyday activity. That's the point of this particular exercise. Picking something that happens regularly through your day and having the intention to wake up for it. In my experience, you know, it took a few days. Um, I first remembered, you know, at the end of the day. But I just recommitted. Well, I'll just keep trying. I didn't give up. It's an important piece of this. If you give up, if you say, well, obviously this doesn't work, then it won't work. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't give up, if you just set that intention again, oh, okay, I'm going to try again with this kind of friendly, okay, yeah, let's just try again. Let's just keep trying. What happened for me is that over the next few days, I began noticing that I hadn't noticed more times in the day. You know, at lunchtime I remembered, at dinner time I remembered, and at, at, at bedtime I remembered. It tended to be times when I was kind of taking a, a, a breath from the kind of momentum of my day. It's like, stop and have some lunch. Oh, mindfulness. Oh, right. So, so this, you know, the momentum of our day, of what we're habitually doing, often overwhelms those moments of mindfulness. And so just setting that intention exploring, trying to um, remember, setting that intention to remember on a specific activity helps us to recognize that we haven't noticed and helps us to highlight that we are noticing now. So it's a kind of a, it's a double-sided thing. You know, it helps us to kind of recommit, but it also wakes us up to, and I'm aware right now. So that's... um, In my experience, it kind of unfolds in that way that um, at first you're not remembering it all connected with the event that you've selected. But over time, with that intention to just commit, I'm just going to keep trying. I'm just going to keep trying. At one point, I was maybe three or four days into this, I noticed right after I had switched between Dawson windows. It's like I had just missed it, but I got really excited because I could tell, it was almost like the, the intention to be mindful was like backing up closer and closer to the event itself. And then at some point, it did start happening, right connected with the event. And at that point, you know, I began to, it began to be almost like that activity, whatever it was, you know, that thing I chose. And I picked many things over the course of my, of my um, practice time with this particular kind of tool, um, 
um, that activity begins to kind of become a wake-up bell. So if we, if we have the intention to become mindful with something and eventually start having mindfulness associated with that, then what I started noticing is that I was switching between Dawson windows and that very action began to bring the mindfulness in. And so it was a self-reinforcing cycle that the mindfulness got stronger. There were more moments of mindfulness, more moments of remembering that I hadn't remembered and then more moments of noticing that I'm doing this, and then the very activity began to prompt the mindfulness. And so this is, this is a, a kind of a tool or a way to get a, a little thread of mindfulness through your day. And so this is the first homework exercise, I guess we'll call it. Um, pick something that happens regularly through your day. If you, like, I picked something on the computer because I spent the bulk of my day, I was a programmer, I spent the bulk of my day on a computer. And if you do that, there's many different things you could choose there. It could be, you know, closing down a window or clicking send for an email or just something that happens regularly. If you're not on a computer all day, there are other things that happen regularly. Um... Standing up, for instance, might be something. Or sitting down. Actually, standing up is harder than sitting down uh, because often in the standing up, again, we're kind of launching into something and that tends to be a place where our mind is going to be hooked to the thing we're doing. But you can try it. You could try both standing up and sitting down if that happens for you regularly. And by regularly, I mean four or five times an hour through the bulk of your day. It might be reaching to pick up something to drink. It might be um, checking your phone for messages or texts. Uh, anytime touching your cell phone, that's actually also a very hard one, I find, when people have tried this. But people have found it to be pretty powerful uh, to, to see just how much it's a habit. You know, oh, did I get anything? You know, and, and not re- really needing to. And so it almost began to be that the the seeing of that intention to pick up the phone began to be something that they, you could see that and then not pick up the phone to, to just but but the, the the act of noticing that impulse then became the wake-up bell oh that movement to pick up my phone then you're just like well what what's happening here oh there's some tension or oh there's some boredom oh, the, my, that's why the mind wants to pick this up it wants a little hit of entertainment so there's a lot of things that you could choose um Reaching for something, that's, I would say, a, a, an advanced exercise. You probably reach for something more than three or four times an hour. Um, so it's, that happens a lot. And if you choose that one, uh, be very compassionate with yourself with how much you miss it because you'll start to see um, uh, you miss a lot when you, if you choose something like reaching for something, you know reaching for a glass, reaching for a piece of paper, reaching to scratch your nose. <laughs> it's, it just happens everywhere. Another one that might happen is going through doorways or any contact with the doorway, any contact with the door. Might include refrigerators, cabinets, 
might include a car door, your own door. Anytime you walk through a doorway, like right there, there's that archway is, is a doorway, you know. So, so any any uh, a- activity around doorways that could be another one, another thing that happens regularly through your day. So I would encourage you to pick something, and those of you um, coming tomorrow or coming during the week, I will ask you to share what you pick so that uh, it's a little bit of a commitment, um, a little bit of a kind of a, okay, yes, I am going to, I am going to do this. Um, so I'll ask you to share, to share that. Um, let's see if there's anything more I want to say about that. Again, the biggest point in some way of this is helping you to get familiar with the moment that mindfulness returns. Because this actually happens a lot. It's helpful, it can be helpful at first in daily life to tie that moment or to tie, help to tie the moment of remembering mindfulness to some specific activity so that we are aware of when and for how long, how, how much we're remembering to be mindful. But really the point is a lot about that moment of mindfulness returning. And the entirety of this practice and this exercise, from noticing those moments when you have, when you have um, recognized that you haven't remembered, to those moments where you notice right after it happens, what you are actually noticing is mindfulness returning. You're noticing, oh, I am aware now. That, notice that. That is one of the the strongest supports for the continuity and the cultivation of mindfulness throughout our daily life. We can cultivate mindfulness in... um, The main way we often cultivate mindfulness is when we are mindful, we are reminding ourselves to be mindful. So we are like paying attention to our breath and we are reminding ourselves stay connected with the breath and so in a way this in this way when we are mindful we can kind of remind ourselves to be mindful another way to cultivate mindfulness is to recognize the moment when mindfulness returns all by itself because it does it actually returns all by itself way more than you realize But what often happens when mindfulness returns all by itself is that we don't really notice that we've become mindful. We notice something about something that, we notice something about the thing we've become mindful of and very often we are interested in that and wanting, you know, the interest in the thing we have kind of noticed where the attention has shifted to. Our interest in that overwhelms or swamps our interest in the fact that we've become aware. And so this... Uh, this exercise begins to help us to appreciate and recognize what it's like for mindfulness to return. And that is basically the doorway through which when we become mindful, um, we can begin to have some choice in what happens for us in our present moment. When we are not mindful in the present moment, we are essentially acting out of our old conditioning. We are acting out of what we've done in the past, the, the kind of patterns that we've cultivated, the habits that we've cultivated. When we are not mindful in the present moment, those are running the show. 
when we do become mindful, there is an opportunity to kind of be aware of, well, what habit is running the show? And so this is the benefit of being able to wake up to mindfulness in the midst of daily life. And this is kind of like, I would say this is almost like training wheels to help us to begin to recognize this quality of mindfulness itself. The quality of mindfulness as mindfulness returns. The cultivation of the recognition of that. Recognizing when mindfulness returns. Oh, this is what it's like to be aware. In a simple way. And again, we don't have to hold on to it. But just knowing, oh, I'm aware now. This is what it's like. That itself, that recognition helps us to notice it more. And as I said, it actually happens way more than you can possibly imagine during our day. And so as we begin to get attuned to that experience of mindfulness returning, another great thing about that moment is that it's effortless. We don't have to make that one happen. We don't have to do it. We just have to recognize it. We, it's like we get attuned to that experience of mindfulness returning. And it's an effortless moment of mindfulness in which we just can recognize, ha, ah, aware again, aware in this moment. So that kind of noticing the return of mindfulness helps the mind to recognize the return of mindfulness more. I would say this is actually, at this point, this is my main daily life practice. I notice that moment. And the more I notice that moment, the more I notice it. And the more it begins to kind of weave this thread of mindfulness through my day so that mindfulness is available to uh, recognize when the mind is starting to get reactive or pulled out of balance. So the, the, this, this tool that I'm suggesting you, you explore is a support for helping you to recognize mindfulness when it returns at random times through your day. That is kind of the big, the big point of this particular exercise, is helping you to notice the return of mindfulness. So the second piece that I like to suggest is... This one, in this particular practice, I encourage, notice that mindfulness returns, but don't try to hold on to it necessarily. You might notice as mindfulness returns that there's, you know, sometimes you might notice that it lasts for a little while, but you don't have to try to hold on to it. In the midst of our lives, one, one big thing that I find in teaching these daily life practice retreats, if the instruction is, When you notice mindful, try to stay mindfulness. When you notice mindfulness, try to stay mindful. People often will come back and say, I don't have time for this. It's too much effort. I can't do it. And so what I want to encourage is this recognition of this, you know, moment of effortless mindfulness. And if we can begin to notice more of those, we get more capacity for mindfulness in our daily lives. And you don't have to pick it up and say, okay, now I have to hold on to this. Like you're picking up the backpack of mindfulness and trying to carry it around with you. That doing of trying to do mindfulness, often in our daily lives, we don't necessarily have the the bandwidth at this point to both cultivate that 
ongoing quality of mindfulness and stay engaged in whatever thing that we need to be doing to, to, to get on with our day. And so this is, this is one tool here is to, um, to just notice that moment. Like you, you notice, oh, walking through this door, I'm here, kind of relaxed. Or, oh, picking up this thing and there's tension. Oh, okay, just notice that and get on with your day. Mindfulness may linger, it may not. It's okay, however it happens. So you don't have to try to hold on to mindfulness with this first exercise. The second exercise, I want you to pick something where there is a little bit more space, where you don't have to be engaged in anything with much content, um, where you do explore seeing if there can be a little bit more of a threat of mindfulness. Something that takes you maybe five minutes, maybe happens once or twice a day. Chores are good. Washing dishes, loading the dishwasher, um, brushing your teeth, the entire morning routine, something like that. Something that takes anywhere from you know, five to, to ten minutes. Pick that activity as something that you will explore being aware of in your um, in your, it, you know, just knowing what's happening while it's happening. So a, a useful tool for this is to, um, there's a kind of a, an inner prompting we can have to help us to be aware. Well, first of all, you need to remember to be aware of the thing at all. So for this one, I would encourage, um, you know, putting a sign somewhere, you know, if, in a place where you're going to be doing this activity. So, you know, at one point I put a big sign on my bathroom mirror, you know, it's like, okay, I can't see my face. It says, be mindful. Might help me remember. Um, so do, you are welcome to use props to help you remember for this one particularly. You know, put a big puffy ball on your toothbrush or something so that it like What's this? Oh, right, mindfulness. There's something to help you remember. So once you have remembered, um, then uh, another tool that helps to kind of keep the mindfulness going is um, a little inner kind of prompt. It's like noting, but it's a little bit more... um, uh, more receptive in a way. So um, you can just begin kind of internally in your mind saying, now I'm aware of, and I'm going to do this right now for what's happening for me. So you can kind of see how this works. Now I'm aware of sitting. Now I'm aware of breathing. Now I'm aware of seeing. Now I'm aware of vibration. Now I'm aware of happiness. Now I'm aware of breathing. Now I'm aware of calm. Now I'm aware of seeing. Now I'm aware of hearing. So just using that phrase, just launch into the phrase, now I'm aware of. And then in that moment where there's space, now I'm aware of, there's a space What's there in that moment? 
you're not anticipating it, you can use that in your mind as a way to help you stay present. And again, this is really simple. This is like not, um, it doesn't have to be like some deep exploration of your inner um, emotions while you're brushing your teeth. Although sometimes that might come up. Like I noticed just sitting here as I, even just after a few moments of naming it, just the, the continuity there, happiness began and then the mind began to calm down in just that, even that like four, you know, a f- f- few minutes, the, the, the mind shifted while it was doing that out loud. So you can do this in your mind. Now I'm aware of, now I'm aware of. After a while, as you get used to it, you can drop the now I'm aware of and just kind of recognize, oh yeah, seeing, pulsing, smiling, seeing, hearing, dryness, tension, tension, breathing, just in a simple way, keeping yourself, noticing the next thing, just whatever's obvious, body sensations, sounds, sights, emotions, whatever's there. So this one helps to, um, so this is the other way of cultivating mindfulness, of kind of when you're mindful, remembering to be mindful, kind of prompting mindfulness. So this begins to get us a little bit more of the sense of what it's like for um, us to be aware of the physicality of our bodies, of our, what's happening in our sense bases and our emotional terrain while we're doing ordinary activities. And again, this is powerful to do in a very neutral activity to start, like brushing your teeth or washing dishes or something like that. Because it helps create the conditions, it, again, beginning in places where things are neutral can help create the conditions for um, the capacity of mind to learn what it's like to be aware of these things in a kind of more active setting rather than with our eyes closed and sitting in stillness where we're engaged in an activity and aware of what's happening aware of what's going on inside. This cultivates our skill and our capacity for being aware in more dynamic activities. It's kind of like the foundation where we might be able to bring some mindfulness to a more charged situation. So again, it's, you know, these things, these are, these are kind of training wheels or tools to help mindfulness become more available in daily life. And then over the course of the week, we'll begin talking about, and how do we work with things, especially challenging things, as we become mindful of them in our daily life. One major tool that, that I'll suggest um, is um, just a very simple... Um, um, Saito Tejaniya called it 50-50 mindfulness. 50% of the attention on what we're doing and 50% of the attention 
on how we are. Ease, tension, calm, agitated, body tense or relaxed, at a very high level, simple level. Knowing what we're doing, engaged in the content of what we're doing, and aware of how we are while we're doing that. We can do that with our chores. It's, it tends to be not so much necessarily, you know, uh, like doing our dishes. There might be some, like, oh, I don't want to be doing this right now. I'd rather be reading my book or something. There might be some of that direct kind of relationship to the chore itself that we notice in our minds, you know, that we notice, oh, I'm, I'm doing this thing and I'm resisting doing this thing. We might notice that. But sometimes with chores or just doing something straightforward like that, more what's happening is that our mind is kind of wanting to be pulled to something else, you know, like, oh, what do I have to do today? You know, it's like we, we want to think about those things. And so that may be more the, the, 50%, the 50-50 is noticing that we're doing this thing, but we want to be doing something else with our mind. We want to be engaged with something else. And so that, we, we, we just notice that. In our daily lives, we may notice more of a direct kind of correlation. I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm feeling frustrated by the content of this conversation. So knowing that, you know, again, to be aware of what's happening inside rather than it being below the surface of our conscious awareness is a powerful place. And something that we learn to trust over time is valuable. That we learn to see, oh, that, wow, there's frustration happening here. If we weren't aware of it, we might just act out of that frustration. Say something quickly or um, do something without thinking about it. When we're aware of it, we have a little more choice, a little more opportunity to uh, perhaps bring in some balance or bring in a different perspective around the situation that might help us to navigate it in a more balanced way. So these, these are the two main um, tools that I offer in these, uh, all of these daily life practice um, retreats. Picking something that happens regularly through your day and picking a chore of some kind where you explore remembering to be mindful for the duration of that chore. So um, I'm going to take a, a moment to see if there's any questions, but I, I just want to kind of highlight or say the, the other piece of this week and on all of these um, weeks I pick up a theme so that we use these as our ground tools to help, uh, help support the mindfulness, but then we pick something else. I, I usually pick a theme that we're all exploring together as a, as a group. Um, and this week I've picked the theme of wise and mindful speech, which is, I think, one of the biggest areas we get caught in in our daily life. And so in a few moments I'll talk about some, we'll, we'll do a little bit of, of exploration around wise and mindful speech um, and a little bit of a practice around that. Um, but just want to check in about any questions about what I've shared uh, so far around these two. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. 
when you mention at the end about voice mindfulness around voice speech because when you introduce your first part of uh, daily life practice around picking up something you do more often and try to uh, notice the mindfulness return movement so uh, i the question came up in my mind that what if if my job is to just talk like most of my day i'm just talking so how i can bring that uh, practice into because the most difficult i have found myself being mindful is when i'm talking yes it's very challenging <laughs> it's one of the reasons i'm picking it this week <laughs> um so you know do you have do you have um um when you talk to people are you talking to the same person for long stretches of time or mm-hmm. are you doing something in that a physical activity something that you're doing um yes yeah, same person for a long period of time uh-huh yeah and are you just sitting together or is there activity involved sitting together sitting together um you know you might do, do you do you have water or anything with you um that you something that you do take notes or um reach for something to drink or do you do anything like that in that no. time maybe sometime reaching out for the mobile phone okay yeah yeah so so if that happens i mean you could play with with using that and see but then again we'll we'll do some other things around speech that i hope will support you mm. in that now i'll talk about that more in a moment but but you could also just see is there something that happens you know it could it could just be um you know some shift of body posture you know if you're sitting i i doubt you sit completely still the entire time so any time you could have it be any time you shift posture you know, just, a, just a little bit of <laughs> that you know move your arm or shift your leg you mm. know it could be something like that that would be something that you'd pick mm. to so i can uh set an intention that while i will be talking i will try to be mindful whenever i will change my posture i let's let's use a different word there because mindful brings in all kinds of ideas right it's like oh mindful like just be aware when mm-hmm. you change postures okay just know mm-hmm. that you're doing that and again you can you don't have to like linger there we can actually be aware so like right now i can be talking and know that i'm changing my mm-hmm. posture at the same time mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have to be a oh stop and pay attention to that. Mm. It's really just very this is a very light touch of mindfulness. Just know that it's happening. Mm. Sometimes I think when we use the word mindfulness we bring a lot of effort of, of effort and baggage to mm. it and it's really just this is the lightest in this exercise in particular. It's mm. the lightest. So while you're talking, set the intention to know or be aware mm. when you change posture. It's like, oh, oh, I'm changing posture and I'm talking now. And mm. and you don't have to like and know anything detailed mm. about it. Just know that it is happening. And and just see, you know, see what happens. Mm. Yeah. I'm excited to practice it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Other questions or comments? 
Yeah. Would you pass the mic back? What if there isn't any, like, one thing that I kind of do multiple times per hour at work? Like, I alternate between, like, like looking at people, signing them in for, you know, when they check in for their class, and then going to clean. Well, when I'm cleaning, it's, it's easier to be aware because I've practiced that. But then, then I come back to the desk, and then maybe I pick up, you know, customer service, pick up a phone, or maybe answer an email. There, but it's like, it might, I may only answer one phone call per every two hours, or uh-huh. it might be several times an hour. It really depends on the day. And then sometimes I'm on the computer, and sometimes I'm not. So I'm not sure if there's any one thing that I do multiple times an hour. Um, you, could, you could, like, look at sections of your day. So, for instance, when I'm checking, this, when I'm checking people in, you could pick something during that, uh, mm-hmm. like some activity that you have to do for that, like writing their name or entering something into the computer like typing their name in or something yeah like i've started to like kind of just notice the touch of the keyboard as yes. I'm typing that's something yeah that, that kind of thing yeah um and then you know cleaning is another kind of thing and you might pick some things there but the other thing that might be interesting and you've done this before so it's a it's a more it's a more challenging thing but anytime you touch something touching keyboard, touching a mop, touching uh, something, you know, touching a mat, you know, it it happens a lot. (laughs) So again, this is one of those that, that you have to be really compassionate with yourself by how, about how many times you won't notice it. But um, you could, you could use that and set that intention to, I mean, because that's just a simple, or reaching, you know, just anytime you touch, or if there's something more, to, to simplify it a little bit, it could be any time I touch a piece of paper or, um, yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So let's take a short break of about 10 minutes um, um, and a silent break and see if you can explore a little bit around in this time just knowing what you're doing. You know, maybe you go to the bathroom and get a cup of tea and just like, you don't have to like have a detailed focused mindfulness, but just see if there can be a little bit of a a thread of being aware in a relaxed way. Enter into this next 10 minutes as a time to explore that extended period of mindfulness. So we'll come back at 20 of... So um, I mentioned that um, wise and mindful speech will be the theme for the week, for the retreat. Um, A kind of an exploration, encouragement to notice and practice with being mindful while speaking. And a support for this is also to use the, the teachings on wise speech. So these are two different aspects in a way. You know, wise speech is a is a a support for mindful speech 
because as we use the tools for wise speech, it helps us to be mindful while speaking. And then mindful speech has a deeper kind of um, benefit in that we can, we can start to see subtler things going on in our mind as we're speaking, uh, subtler currents of, of intention and motivation that prompt us to speak. And so these are, these are two related but separate pieces. And I'll just take a few minutes to talk a, a little bit about each one. Um, so first, wise speech. Um, this is the um, commitment and the exploration of non-harming in our speech. We talked about uh, refraining from false speech earlier, and that's one aspect of wise speech that we, we recognize um, speaking truthfully is a support for non-harming. Um, the other ones that are uh, that the Buddha mentions are um, refraining from divisive speech, refraining from speech that creates division between people, refraining from um, harsh, abusive speech, and this could be in terms of tone of voice or or language used. You know, being being abusive in our speech, um, and then idle chatter being the other kind of speech to keep an eye out for. (laughs) Um, So idle chatter being, uh, in the definition of idle chatter, it's speech that has no purpose. Um, And so this is an important understanding about idle chatter because we might think of, um, you know, speaking about certain things like the weather or something as being idle chatter. And yet at times it serves as a kind of a, it's not, it's not, purposeless it's actually serving as a way to create connection um, and so to 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 just be aware of when we are speaking about things that seem more casual what's is there a deeper purpose is there a deeper point to the speech so um, in why speech we explore this possibility of um, explore uh, recognizing when we might engage in false speech, divisive speech, harsh speech, or idle chatter, and to uh, potentially explore refraining from those kinds of speech. But again, as I mentioned before, um, this, this, this is kind of an extension, we could say an extension of the training precepts of, um, you know, becoming aware of when our actions might cause harm. And they are training rules. It's like I don't tend to think of these as rigid rules that it's just like, well, I'm not going to do this, I am going to do that, and and holding to this in a very rigid way. It's much more a support for exploring what's happening. As I mentioned, using the precepts kind of as wake-up bells, we can use the, the guidelines around wise speech as wake-up bells. If I'm getting ready to say something, that might be divisive or harsh or false, this is something to pay attention to. What's going on? What's happening here? So this, uh, another, another way to distill some of the guidelines around why speech, um, maybe in a more positive framing, the... Um, guidelines for many of these precepts is is expressed as something to refrain from. So refraining from false speech, refraining from harsh speech, etc. In a more positive way, the Buddha encouraged us to speak, 
what is true, what is beneficial, and what is kind. What is true, what is useful, and what is kind. And in, in a way, those three encompass the other four. What is true is kind of the, the counterpoint of false speech. By refraining from false speech, we encourage speaking what is true. A divisive speech um, and uh, harsh speech both may fall into the non-kind um, non-kind category, so unkindness. And so the practice of when we're speaking, exploring kindness, seeing if we can be motivated by kindness, that kind of speaks to those two, harsh speech and divisive speech. And useful speaks to uh, both the... um, um, so useful would speak to not having the idle chatter, but also in some ways to not having divisiveness. And is a harsh speech really useful speech? So the, the, the is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? And so bringing mindfulness, so bringing mindful, uh, mindfulness of speaking in, if we can be aware we're going to speak, we might just, check in. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? What I'm going to say, is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? So that can be a, a simpler way and maybe a p- more positive way in to, uh, to exploring wise speech. So that's a little bit about wise speech and it's, um, it's really helpful to just see in your life when unwise speech happens. So this is, again, it's kind of a wake-up bell. It's not, it's not so much to judge ourselves for having unwise speech, but to be curious. What happened? Probably one thing that happened was that there was a loss of mindfulness. There was probably a getting caught in some reactivity. And that reactivity, there, there can be times when we are mindful and caught in reactivity and the momentum of the reactivity is powerful enough that I've certainly seen this a few times, sometimes in my practice, that I see a, a pattern that starts to unfold and I'm mindful of it, but, I, but the mindfulness isn't strong enough to, to have me have a choice to choose something else. And so that can happen. We can be mindful of something that's reactive and be aware of it and not be able to stop ourselves from from blurting this thing out. And something I often will say in this kind of a situation is, yes, this is going to happen. You're going to notice times, uh, being mindful in your daily life, you are going to notice times that you are aware that you're doing something and are kind of powerless to stop it. It's not a failure of mindfulness. It's more a kind of a demonstration of the strength of the habit. That the habit is so strong and the mindfulness is, um, is just gaining, just starting to gain some, some capacity with this particular pattern. And so at first we really just get to see the pattern unfold. And one of the things we might get to see about that is, wow, this is painful. This hurts. It's not, we don't have to berate ourselves or beat ourselves up around um, not 
having mindfulness be able to kind of have an intervention and choose something else. But what I often say is get really good at cleaning up the mess, especially in engagement with speech and actions. If we've done something, even, even you know, seeing the kind of momentum of a, of a reactive pattern and not able to stop it, and then we do something out of that reactive pattern, rather than uh, uh, telling ourselves what a horrible person we are, it's like, well, what can I learn from this? What, what more can I um, explore here? And can I go back and apologize, undertake a kind of a, a commitment to exploring this more deeply in the future? so that there's a a connection with it. It's not just set aside and said, oh, well, that was a big mistake. And um, we we, we need to be able to learn from our mistakes. We need to be able to hold them with some compassion because they are, our, our conditioning is so powerful. The conditioning around our reactive patterns is so powerful. We are going to find the momentum of that conditioning is more powerful than the momentum of our mindfulness. And so some compassion for ourselves around that is really helpful. But what I will say is that with, these, with the practices that we're cultivating, the mindfulness will strengthen over time and gain some traction. It will gain some capacity to be able to let us make a different choice at times, will be able to help us to maybe not say that thing or not do that thing that might cause harm. So the, um, uh, the guidelines around why speech are helpful if you can kind of know you're going to speak before you speak and um, just have a sense of, is this going to be true, useful, and kind? So that's a little bit about why speech. And again, uh, there's a kind of the interconnection between mindfulness, mindful speech, and why speech. Mindful, mindful speech is, is about cultivating the capacity to be aware while we're speaking. Whether or not there is uh, anything going on around why speech, unru- unwise speech, we, we just explore, can I know that I'm speaking while I'm speaking? This is a really hard thing to do. We have a great um, habit of not being mindful while we're speaking. And so this is um, uh, a lot of, uh, it requires a lot of patience and a lot of, again, the willingness to recognize, oh, in that time I wasn't mindful while speaking and I'll just keep trying. I'll just keep trying to see if I can bring that capacity to be mindful while speaking. A couple of tools that help. uh, One, if you can pause before you speak, that's a little bit of mindfulness. It's knowing that you're going to speak before you speak. That adds um, a little bit of intentionality. Um, It's uh, it's not always easy to do that, but sometimes, especially in... um, a conversation with another friend that we, and this is actually something that I might recommend during the week, finding a time to have a, a, a kind of a mindful lunch date. You know, be with a friend, meet with a friend who um, knows what you're doing and agree to support e- each other, to help each other um, 
remember to be mindful while speaking. And we'll do a little exercise with this in just a minute so that you'll get a flavor of it. In that uh, kind of situation, you, you can pause before you speak. Just stop. That creates a little bit of a different dynamic in a conversation, and in particular in work conversations and situations um, where things are happening very quickly, if you are always pausing before you speak, you may not ever get a chance to speak in a business meeting or something. And so um, it can be helpful to just begin to explore being aware while speaking in a more structured situation at first. So you begin to get familiar with it. Again, the familiarity of being mindful in certain activities helps it to become more available at other times. And so practicing with a friend will give you some skill in uh, being able to more pick up in just being aware while you're speaking in a more dynamic conversation. And it may be that the mindfulness kind of pops in and out during a conversation. You may notice that sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And so in terms of being mindful while speaking, kind of like um, I said, Saito Utejaniya said, I don't practice uh, walking meditation. I practice awareness while walking. What we're going to explore here is practicing awareness while speaking. So not necessarily doing it as speaking meditation, but just practicing, can I be aware while I'm speaking? And again, this is a foundational or a, a, a kind of a, a basic practice that begins to support us in um, being aware while we're speaking in a variety of situations and maybe able to see um, what's going on inside while we're speaking. So, but that's a, that's a kind of a, a, a separate step in a way. You know, when I first started uh, recognizing or learning how to be mindful while I'm speaking, just again, just like I'm speaking and I know I'm speaking. Speaking and I'm knowing I'm speaking. That's, it, it can be that simple to begin with. And that was where my mindful speaking practice began was speaking and knowing that I was speaking. And that's, that's basically what we'll, what we'll play with in just a moment, is seeing if you can speak and know you're speaking. That began, and then as I got more capacity to do that, to just speak and know I was speaking, there began to be more ab- ability of the mindfulness to track multiple things. At first it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm speaking and I know I'm speaking, And I kind of know what I'm saying, but I'm not really clear on why I'm saying it or, you know, so there were, there was a, there was a kind of just a very light layer of mindfulness on top of the ability to know I was speaking. But that capacity grew and deepened so that the, the mindfulness could begin to not only know what I was saying, but also something about how I was feeling about what I was saying. Well, Well, again, that inner and outer kind of sense that Saito Utejaniya spoke about, 50-50 mindfulness. Speak, know the content, and also 50% knowing what the content is and 50% knowing how you are with that content. So that's a little bit um, a deeper level of mindfulness that can not only know that you're talking while you're talking, but also have a sense of 
tracking. And how am I? Am I relaxed? Am I tense? Is there a little fear coming up or a little uncertainty about what I'm supposed to say? And likewise, we can, in the other side of mindful speaking, is mindful listening. In a conversation, both sides of it are, are helpful and important. And again, to, in the listening practice, this tends to be easier to um, listen to what somebody is saying, track the content, and know how, it, how you are with the content of what they're saying. So they're talking about something that is going on in their life. And you are aware of that and simultaneously aware of any um, maybe tension or shifting of emotions in your own system around what they are saying. So again, it's that content and how you are with that content. And again, this begins to reveal, you know, again, the benefit of this is that it begins to reveal... um, Often when we're in conversation, we are not so aware of what's going on inside. We're not so aware of how we're responding. It's, it, a lot of it is habitual reaction and um, uh, response that we're not so aware of. And not being aware of it, our habits are running the show. Our conditioning is what's having us choose, is, is choosing how we engage. When we become mindful of these habits and patterns, there's more possibility for choice right in the moment to make a decision. Is this a habit or pattern I want to respond out of right now? And again, we may or may not be able to, if it's a powerful momentum, we may just get to watch it play out. And yet the the benefit of watching it play out, a couple of benefits, one is that we recognize how powerful the conditioning is. But we also get to see, in watching it play out, we also get to see the the struggle, the suffering of it, the pain of it. That when we are acting out of these reactive patterns, we are hurting inside. That there's there's a kind of a suffering that's here. And when we're just reacting out of it, we're more reacting out of that suffering and not so aware of that suffering. And when we're reacting out of that suffering and not aware of the suffering, we often think that that reaction is going to help us feel better, that that reaction is what's going to make our lives better. But what we are doing actually, and it may in the short term help us to feel better, It may in the short term create a condition that lets us feel a little bit more relaxed. But in the long term, what it's doing is reinforcing that reactivity. And that reactivity creates conditions for us to suffer and to struggle. And so as we start to see with mindfulness, as our mind starts to see the the kind of tightness and holding around our reactivity, our minds begin to... um, uh, Realize that this is not the direction towards happiness and well-being. Our minds begin to kind of, kind of almost underneath, our minds begin to reorient and, and try to find another way. Because we're, the, the mind is now getting the information that this habit, this pattern that it has engaged in for years, is not actually so helpful. And so our minds begin to, it's like, 
our system. It's more of our, our organism. Our organism wants to move in the direction of well-being. And um, when our organism understands that something it is doing, acting out of anger, for instance, is creating suffering and struggle right in the moment, our organism begins to recognize, oh, that's not a very good approach. Maybe there's another way towards a different kind of movement to act. So the, this whole process around mindfulness uh, begins to give our minds a new education around what is helpful and what is not helpful. And mindfulness in daily life is a big uh, exploration around this because so much of where we get caught and struggle happens in our daily lives happens as we engage and as we engage we often go with what our conditioning is what our habits and patterns are and so having some degree of mindfulness helps us both to um, to make a different choice possibly but also to uh, add a, a new layer of of information into our organism that helps our organism make wiser choices to make choices that are um, more about Uh, actions out of compassion, love, kindness, wisdom, and not so much out of anger, hatred, greed, confusion. And so this, this, uh, the practice we engage in is an intentional looking at being aware of what's happening, but a lot of the transformation happens because of the, kind of the way our organism is put together. We don't do the transformation. We don't make that transformation happen. We, support, we include supportive conditions to be aware of what's happening and learning, recognizing, oh, this, this is painful. This feels more easeful. And our system, our organism begins to gravitate towards more what is helpful, what is not suffering. And it begins to let go of those habits. But it's a, it's a journey, it's a slow process to have that transformation happen. But it does happen with this cultivation of mindfulness and with mindfulness being a kind of the curiosity of what is this experience as a human experience? Oh, this is the experience of anger. This is what it's like when human beings feel angry. Knowing that, in that way, that form of mindfulness, not, oh, this is anger, I know I'm angry and I've got to get back at that person. That's not what we would call wise mindfulness. But this wise mindfulness, where it's more the curiosity of what's it, what is this human experience of love, of confusion, of compassion, of frustration, of anger, of hatred. What is the human experience of that? That has a transformative power because our minds understand what's helpful and what's not helpful. When we touch into that with mindfulness, we don't have to be told anger hurts, compassion feels connecting. We know it. And so this is, the, this is the way the practice works. This is the way the mindfulness works. And mindfulness in daily life gives us a lot of opportunities to see these habitual patterns at work.
So that was partly in response to somebody who said, why, why do we do this? <laughs> um, so we have just a few minutes, about 20 minutes, and I want to just take a, a little time, a brief time to do a short exercise around mindful speech. Mindful speech. And so this is um, just to uh, kind of touch into the possibility of being aware while speaking and speaking to that. One thing I find in um, the exercises around being aware while speaking, the easiest time, the easiest way to be mindful of speaking is if you're talking about being mindful while speaking. Because the content is reminding you to be mindful while speaking. And so that's what we're going to do. We are going to have a little short conversation about what does it feel like to be mindful while I'm speaking. You could start just simply with um, okay, yep, now I'm, I'm, I'm starting to speak and uh, I'm feeling a little bit of um, tightness in my throat and a little bit of tension in my body. And um, I, I know that I'm speaking. I know that I'm speaking and I'm starting to feel myself relax right now, feeling my legs relax, feeling my body settle back into the chair. And at this point, uh, it does feel like I can start to touch in a little more to what's going on in my mind. I'm feeling pretty relaxed right now. That was a shift. When I first started modeling the exercise, there was a little more agitation, but now there's more, more resting back and knowing. I, I'm hearing my, my voice kind of change into a different tone. That kind of thing. It sounds a little inane, <laughs> but, but it is uh, a way to begin to touch into what does it feel like to be mindful while speaking. And so that's the question for you. What does it feel like to be mindful while speaking? And each person will do this for just a short time. Each person will do this for, let's say, two minutes. There'll be groups of two or three. Three can be good actually. Three can be um, better if it's possible to be in groups of three. If not, a group of two is also fine. Um, And so we'll do um, two minutes per person. So that would be six minutes total. And then um, a general conversation at the end of that for about four minutes of how was that? And seeing if there can be a continuation of mindfulness when it's not in a monologue. When you're just speaking How is it to be mindful while speaking? That can be a little bit easier, but when we get into a more dynamic conversation, even if it's talking about how was it to talk about being mindful while speaking, it can be more challenging. If it's, if it's not, so, you know, you're kind of, you're tracking all kinds of cues, like, is it my turn to speak now? And what did that person say? And so all kinds of other things will be coming into play. And so we'll do that for about four minutes, and then we'll come back together to just, check in about how that was. So um, in silence, seeing if you can find yourself in groups of three, pairing off in groups of three, or triading off in groups of three. And and in silence as you come into your group so that I I can guide this. And if there's a group of two, it's fine. So are you, do you need a group? 
Oh, so there should be eight groups. Uh, is there, let's see. One, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It looks like we have one group of two. Okay, so the group of two, you will do it in the same timing, two minutes, two minutes, and then you'll have a little bit longer for the normal conversation at the six minute. Instead of uh, four minutes, it'll be six minutes. So um, um, the person who is closest to me will begin. <laughs> and if it feels like a split, then the person who's closest to that wall will begin. Um, and uh, I will time this for you. So the question is, what is it like to be mindful while you're speaking? In two minutes, and I'll ring the bell at the two-minute mark. So, how was that? I heard a few snippets that sounded interesting. So, anybody willing to share? This is another piece around this particular scenario. It might not feel like uh, this kind of retreat. You know, it's this, it might not feel like what you have to share is that revelatory or anything. But it's an offering to the group, first of all. It's a kind of a way of, um, of connecting. And uh, often you might find, um, you know, if you share something... Or if somebody else shares something, you might find, oh yeah, I noticed that too. And I didn't actually think I no- I didn't notice it consciously, but I did notice it. So it's just like a ways that we can support each other in terms of helping each other to recognize more. So I encourage you, even if it doesn't feel like a very big thing, to, uh, to share even a few, few sentences of what that was like for you. Yeah. And where's the mic? What happened to the mic? One thing I found interesting, especially three times when you said we will sit for a silence, that is first time I noticed the, after a third time that whenever you were saying, now we will sit in silence. So my hands was naturally going center and my spine was <laughs> <laughs> just listening this word silence. Uh-huh. And uh, while sharing in a group, I, I noticed... Uh, how I was feeling and something surprising was uh, there was a sense of nervousness and uh, anybody else? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was very helpful to very uh, surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can be subtle Mm -hmm. you know just a little subtle like oh so yeah great to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else want to share? Yeah. So I am only. Um, I think it's on. I think it's on. I think it's on. I think, on. I think my, mindfulness is just a recent um, 
word for me. I've never been aware of it. And I think that I have been very mindful of my speech in my life. I guess there are some occasions when I'm not, but it just seems that when you speak that you, you are in the present and that you do pay attention. <laughs> that's, that's my it, That's our hope. <laughs> yeah, and, and if that is true for you, that's wonderful. But I would say it's not generally true. Yeah. And, and over here. Yeah. <laughs> we could could we just hand the mic over to to Kate here? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um I noticed <clears throat> I had an impulse to fill every second with speech. And as I was noticing that, my body was tense. And I felt pressure. And, of course, it's self-pressure that I have to speak all the time. And then I had the awareness while I was speaking, and I said it to my group, "I I don't want to do this. I just want to think before I speak. And my whole body softened and relaxed. Yes. And Real I, time. You see yeah. the benefits right there. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, yeah. But it also occurred to me that it's a habit that <clears throat> I, for one, developed from living in a very extroverted world, a very aggressive world, where people don't give you a chance to think. Um, and I, I have that conditioning in me, so I'm always aware that that impulse is there to come up. But it was so relaxing when I just said, eh, I don't... Conditioning is helpful, too, to see this is, this is kind of the, the, the direction of much of our culture, you know, speak quickly, jump in continually, you know, so the, 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 whole, the whole ways that we've been conditioned. It's not been our choice to be conditioned this way. But it is the conditioning. And so this is, again, a big place of where mindfulness helps. We can see the effect it has on us. As you saw just in that moment, oh, this feels tense. Seeing that, the mind recognized that. And and being in a group where it felt like this is what we were exploring, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe I can just wait. (laughs) What happens? So that's a beautiful um, description of what you experienced. Thank you. So um, sometimes there's a thousand things going on and I think, well, you know, surely I I should get at least a hundred things accomplished right now and I I really can't. And and so with the exercise, it was um, helping me focus on the smallest itty-bitty teeny-weeny thing that's happening and that's that's something that I can be aware of. I, I can't necessarily be aware of a thousand things or a hundred yeah. things yeah. at once. So it just gave me um, a lot of hope, even, even though I always work on this, that, you know, I know when I'm speaking, sometimes nobody's home. And, um, and this just helped me focus that you don't have to try to fix it. You can just 
figure out like what's happening in your stomach. And often when we see, you know, kind of like the most obvious thing, it's like we, we just like, okay, well, what's here and what's clear? Oh, there's some tension in my throat. It's like whatever is most obvious is actually one of the more relevant pieces for us to attend to. So we don't have to like know everything, but just, oh, I'm, I'm here. And, and often sometimes a really simple check-in around, does it feel tight or relaxed? Even just that. I mean, so aware while speaking. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm aware while I'm speaking. And maybe beginning to be able to check in. And is there tension or ease at a simple level? So if you want to play with this kind of exercise with friends uh, who are interested in mindfulness. Um, I I encourage starting with something like this, a couple minutes of just what is it like to be mindful while you're speaking? And then a couple more questions that could be useful to play with. Um, What would the benefits of mindful speech be in your life? And so that gets into a more ordinary kind of conversation. You're not speaking directly to what you're saying. But again, you're speaking about mindful speaking. And so what my, how might it support you? So just to have a conversation with friends, how would it support you to be mindful in daily life? And then a third question, what are things that might support you to be mindful while speaking? What might help you with that? So if you have some time to have a conversation like that over the next couple days, that's something that you could bring back to the group. And if not, we'll just work with what's in the group in the next few days. So it's time to stop. It's time to end this afternoon. And um, I just want to um, end with a sharing of the benefits. And this is a kind of standard way to end a, a time together to request or to hope to express the aspiration that the benefits of our time together be of service, not only to ourselves, but to all beings that may the benefits of our time together be of support not only to ourselves but to all those that we meet and maybe to those people that they meet in a way that this can ripple out this kind of exploration and practice can ripple out to support and benefit all beings everywhere may all beings be happy healthy safe and at ease may all beings know peace So thank you for your uh, attention and your participation today. And I hope to see many of you tomorrow morning. (laughs) I have some handouts uh, that cover some of the material that I talked about today. And if you prefer online, I will post this with the, I'm going to create a, uh, a, a series with this, the the recordings for this week. And I'll put those, this document with, the recordings, so you can also get it online. There's one here, which is just a general description of the the tools that we talked about earlier. And then um, the second one is the, uh, where's the second one? I missed it, lost it, oh, here it is. The second one is um, something about wise speech, so. You're welcome to take these if you wish or download them in PDF form from the website. So thank you.